What's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Trigger. This is Trigger Tips number 478 here on Thursday, August 24th. Of course, joined by the one, the only, the Spencer Brown, managing editor of Town Hall. I came back. Yeah, you made it back, uh, as promised. It's kind of a voluntold situation, but you know. I just live here now. It's yeah. So, it's cot. What's. <laughs> Uh, that's why. See, that's why I went home last night. I was like, I, I just can't be here for more than this amount of hours in a twenty-four hour period. Um. Anyway, the debate was last night. It was, and it was at times interesting. It was pretty, um, considering it was two hours long. It was actually pretty good television. There were yeah, there yeah. were the any sort of walls were broken up pretty quickly by more shouting. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought that it was good. Um, I think that overall. Uh, it's not really going to change a whole lot in like the overall trajectory of the race. Would you agree with that? Well, I would, but and obviously this doesn't mean much. Uh, do you have polling? It's one poll, uh-huh. uh, but this is uh, 538 Ipsos and ABC News, and they did a before and after debate comparison. And so this is share of likely Republican primary voters who watched the debate and considering voting for each candidate after compared to before it. Mm-hmm. The biggest gain was Nikki Haley, which went from 30.2% to 46.7%, while the only people that shifted downwards were Trump, who went from 662 to 61.4%. Uh, uh, Will Hurd, not even sure why they're polling him, because yeah. he wasn't at the debate, but he went from 4.7% to 3.6%, and uh, Suarez went from 3.1% to 2.9%. So there was actually movement, at least... In this one poll reflected, uh, Ramaswamy picked up six points, Scott picked up uh, about two points, Pence basically the same, Christie actually picked up, he went from 18.2 to 22.1%. So it did at least move things in terms of people being asked in the immediate aftermath, but I don't think that's actually going to bear out. He went from 63 to 67.5. So, uh, yeah, higher than Trump? That's higher than Trump now. That puts him 1.3% above Trump. Interesting. Um, And so, again, but that's that's the immediate pulse right after the debate as well. And so people right after they watch the debate are impassioned by whatever they're feeling at the moment. And things are probably going to shift significantly again this evening when Trump has his mugshot taken and surrenders in Georgia. Yeah, well, and also that poll's not hard support. That's just like consider to vote. For the person, well, right, because uh, polling at this point is so silly because you're trying to decide between eight, nine, ten. Well, not according people. to Trump, who was a little too much of a little bitch to show up last night. Um, he's, you know, according to him, forty points ahead, and this is already over, and he doesn't even need to bother showing up to the debates. I and will say how overhyped the Tucker interview was. It did not deliver. Well, yeah. So I had that on here. I was very disappointed in Tucker uh, in the questions he asked. Um, I thought he would ask some like legitimate, you know, not, not overly hard gotcha questions, but like something of substance. And basically everything he asked was like softball. Yeah. It was not a challenge. Not that I'm saying it's going to be like, you know, going up against a liberal interview, but like, you know, Tucker is very good on the COVID stuff, the vaccine, all that stuff. He didn't ask him about any of that, did he? I think it would have been great to see Tucker hold him to the fire and ask him why he gave Fauci an award on his way out, right. why yeah. he didn't fire Fauci, why he didn't tell Fauci to shut up, why he didn't 
publicly disagree with a lot of the guidance that mm-hmm. was being given. Why didn't you clean out DOJ when you had the chance? And it would have helped him. You know, a all lot these now. things. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, you know, because it, at this point, it does look like Trump's going to be the guy. And these are all questions that should be asked of the person who's the front runner and or, you know, I don't want to say presumptive nominee, but like assumed nominee at this point, right? If things held the way they are now. Uh, I think that's the biggest question is like Trump has a historic lead at this point in the campaign, but also at this point in previous election cycles, like Hillary Clinton was beating Barack Obama by double digits at this point, in mm-hmm. eight, or I guess it would have been 07. Mm-hmm. at that point and so it's like it doesn't always hold but also i think rudy giuliani was up double digits yeah 08 at this point or whatever it was 07 um yeah i mean it's you know may very well not hold but i think it's a little bit worrying at least from a like is he going to be able to consolidate support type of thing that uh yeah, he does have this, you know, 30-point lead over DeSantis or whatever, but that's only because DeSantis has been going down, uh, and other candidates have, you know, had some share of the vote, not because Trump's consolidating support and getting, you know, 60-70%. Uh, he's still only at 55, 56, 57, which for being the, you know, not incumbent president, but a former president and running again, you know, seems pretty low to me. I don't know. I keep getting told that this whole thing is over and that DeSantis has no shot, but the numbers say actually there is a shot. Um, and also, you know, the Des Moines poll we talked about the other day. Um, we, you know, if DeSantis were to win Iowa, I feel like that would probably smash the glass of the like Trump, you know, invincibility, yeah. right? Um, I don't know. There's a long ways off here. Um, I'll tell you what, though, last night, definitely. So there's two camps on the whole Ramaswamy fellow here. Ah. Um, One side is totally hoodwinked by this guy and uh, doesn't see through his total fake veneer of bullshit. (laughs) Um, And then the other side, which is the side that I've always been on, uh, further was reinforced last night by um his behavior and his outright lies in the uh, in like the reflection of his record which is not very good at all um and we've we've talked about that some in the past but uh so I was going through it today because we had an email from uh, one of our loyal listeners I forget who it was and they were like can you go through some of the Ramaswamy stuff because like all the coverage of him has been like glowing right yeah all the profiles and she has been glowing at him. So here's a few things. We talked about the 9-11 truther stuff the other day, you know, and I don't want to beat that into the ground here, but uh, in his own book, which he wrote last year, released less than a year ago, he wrote negatively about Trump, even though now he says he was the greatest president in, in this century. Uh, and he, that's because he was trying to fit in with his venture capitalist cucks. Uh, and then suddenly changed his position overnight. Now, oh, Trump's the greatest president of the century. In the same book, he says, oh, you know what? Uh, we need a 59% minimum inheritance tax, an estate tax. No loopholes. So that's, I mean, pretty socialist if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, air quote, anti-ESG. 
Yet he and his company invested tens of millions of dollars in those initiatives. Where, like, what, how do you reconcile that? He said he says that climate change is a hoax, which, yeah, accurate. True. Except just a year ago, he believed in climate change <laughs> and the desperate need to modify human behavior oh, in order wow. to step, in order to stop it. So you get the point here. I mean, this guy is oh oh, oh the best. Yeah. I, uh, the Soros Fellowship. Mm. Yeah, for New Americans back in 2011. Look it up. It's real. The Soros Fellowship. There's photos all over the place yep. on Twitter from last night. So everybody was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting that you would take money from uh, the Soroses. I wonder what that was. The Nazi collaborator? Yeah. 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 So, But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. This guy is a knockoff Indian Obama. Okay. Oh boy. He says what he knows that people want to hear. The skinny kid with a funny name. Well, yeah, and we're gonna, we're going to hit that clip in a second because <laughs> he just lifted it from Obama. Yeah. Um. He he doesn't believe these things. He says what he knows people want to hear. He lifted the Trump America First, uh, just complete portfolio of policies, mm-hmm. right? Um. And that's why when he says these things, people are like, oh wow. This is great. <laughs> because, yeah, it's the same fucking thing Trump's saying. He's just a little better at communicating it. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, and what's <laughs> interesting to me is if you compare, like, that list of things you went through, he and DeSantis last night had a lot of the same, like, they were hitting the same points. Uh-huh. But on Ramaswamy, all of those things, like you just laid out, are reverse positions of what he used to say, you know, a couple months ago, a year ago, five years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. But DeSantis, everything was, oh, I already did that. And I think that was one of the things that came across most compelling. And DeSantis' answers yeah. was like, oh, well, prosecutors, yeah, we had two of those. I fired them. Like, education, oh, yeah, we dealt with that in protecting kids in Florida. COVID stuff, we dealt with that. Like, he had a lot of things to back up what he was saying, whereas Ramaswamy, if you just Google the issue and his name, you'll find both sides yep. separated by just a couple months. And I think that poll I just mentioned, it also did um, favorable and unfavorable before and after the debate. Mm-hmm. And what was most interesting is Ramaswamy went from 12.9% unfavorable before the debate to 31.8% after the debate. So yeah. he may have been very animated and talking a lot. It did not make people have necessarily a better opinion of him. His favorables did go up a little bit, but not as much as his unfavorables did. And if you look just in general across all the candidates, I think a lot of people who work in politics or are plugged into this process they weren't really meeting any of these candidates for the first time, but a lot of Americans were actually hearing from these people for the first time. And you see that in both the favorable and unfavorable jumped for basically every candidate. DeSantis' unfavorables actually went down 2%, mm. uh, which is interesting. Haley's stayed basically the same. Christie went down by like a point and a half. Pence went down by a couple points. Uh, but Ramaswamy was by far um, the one that had, I think, the biggest move as far as how much time he was talking. Mm. It didn't reassure anyone necessarily that they liked him it made a lot more people actually view him as not a guy that they liked oh yeah well then that's great news for me because i hate the guy but um (laughs) while you were talking i just remembered another couple things he flipped on uh immigration he said that he wants more uh legal merit-based immigration and i'm like okay i'm not really a huge fan of that but i guess you could you could make the case right but but used to say, and it'll come with uh, basically an amnesty. Yeah. Right. Now he says, no, 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 we're going to do that, but no amnesty. Okay. 
Nice little flip-flop there. And you're never going to get that deal in Congress without an amnesty. Everybody who's a realist knows that. Anybody who lives in the real world. TPP and free trade, right? Mm -hmm. Loves it. Big TPP guy. Now, now, (laughs) he says, uh, maybe, maybe not the best idea. Yeah, he, I don't. He doesn't know what he believes because he doesn't even know, he doesn't have a principles at all. Anything, like he he's just like, oh, let me just lick my finger and stick it into the air and oh. see which way the wind is blowing. Well, <laughs> and see if maybe I can get it into someone's ass and they'll like it. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yikes! There you go. Subscribe <laughs> for it. Yeah. Oh uncensored. God, that uncensored. That was that's where yeah. I was going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Townhall Townhallvip.com promo code Save America. You'll get uncensored triggered, and you'll want it. Believe me. Money back guarantee. Uh, can't disagree, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. right. But no, I mean, With what, my comment or with getting VIP? Mostly getting VIP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what was I? Oh, if, you, if you're like watching Twitter, which is a hellhole, but an even lower like circles of hell gets worse on debate nights or mm-hmm. any night like that. Uh, but if you looked at most of the people last night and this morning who were like, Vivek, you know, knocked out of the park. It was all Trump influencers, yep, yep. Yeah, which doesn't do anything to detract from the argument that this is all just, as you were saying, lifting America first to do it in a different way that kind of drags support away from DeSantis and the others. Well, that's Trump. what the whole thing is. Yeah. Um, and it's very clear that those are all the people that are hyping up what he did at the debate. Well, you were on the Vivek beat, or apparently it's Vivek, but there's no fucking like chance of saying that. Yeah. Vivek. Uh, Vivek, uh, you were on his... Uh, what, the Vivek watch last Vivek night. Watch, yeah. yeah. What did? What was your thoughts on that? Someone said that he reminds me of a 1970s game show host. Yes, and it and accurate. But he's a snake oil. He just needs like the Bob Barker stick yeah. like when he's walking around the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, come on down. He's a, um, he's a snake oil. So you know, with all this, but despite all everything, all the good points you just made, he's 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 gonna stick around. And, well, he's a billionaire. You know, he's a billionaire. He can stick around, and, and he, he went haymaker for haymaker against Chris Christie. Which, well, we're gonna have some clips. Yeah, I think Christie won those exchanges. Yeah, um, and I don't even like Chris Christie. Everybody knows that. But uh, before we move on from the uh, the Obama thing, I do have that clip here. The hope, the hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him, too. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? The ho- what the heck, indeed. Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What's you know, he doing? there was a certain uh, candidate back in 88 who plagiarized, you know, someone's uh, campaign stump speech and <laughs> yeah. got his um, campaign torch. His name was Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. It was Joe Biden yeah. lifted almost word for word what Neil Canuck, who was the who was the Labor Party leader at the time. Well, it, the whole thing about Vivek is that he's just a billionaire who got bored and thinks that he can lie and hoodwink his way into probably being Trump's vice president, which I think would be absolutely disastrous. That I think honestly, Trump would kill him, though. Honestly, no, can you imagine it? Like, I, I don't see those two ever being a political marriage. You know, I, <laughs> I obviously everybody knows that I'm a DeSantis guy for a number of reasons. Mainly the fact that he has done all of these things. He is the most effective conservative governor in the United States. He's taken Florida from being a swing state to being a generationally solid conservative state. Uh, you know, you can go down the whole list, but if he doesn't become the nominee and Trump, you know, becomes the nominee. Obviously I'm gonna enthusiastically support Trump. 
But the one thing that Trump could do, which would really sour me on him, would be to pick Vivek. And there is yeah. a significant movement among the Trumpers and the, the, you know, the Trump influencers online. I don't even know what to call them anymore. Uh, Laura Lumen? Trolls. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, Vivek would make a great VP. And then in the poll that Trump was running, it was like 50% voted to be Vivek to be the VP. That would be the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. I'd be I'd be very, very upset if that happened. I, I also think that Trump should pick a woman to be his VP, uh, not Nikki Haley, because I can't stand her either. Although it would help his case to have her as the VP um, with with all these, you know, squishy women who can't figure out what's good for themselves with voting. She but. did get a significant hit against Ron Swamy, which was absolutely yeah. delicious because yeah. people were applauding her so loud that yeah. he couldn't even answer, which was almost as good as uh, Christie hitting him so hard that people were, again, laughing at him so loud he couldn't even get his rebuttal in. Great segue because Let's that's the it. clip that I've got here. Hold on, hold on. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight. Of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here? was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Just like you did to Obama. Same time, and, and you'll help elect me just like you did to Obama, too. Give me that band. Yeah, the, the end where he was like, give me the hug. I was like, all right, that's pretty funny. But yeah. uh, the chat GPT one was pretty good. <laughs> and that really is a great description of, yes. of what he is. It's uh, like every position, like you were saying, like his positions just are like lifted from America First mm-hmm. principles or whatever. You know, if you just put in a chat GPT, give me a policy position on like trade from Trump's perspective, that's what Vivek was saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a total amateur. And that's where I agree with Chris Christie. I don't, you know, I think that Christie was a good governor in New Jersey, bad national candidate. Um, But, and his attacks on Trump, I think, are way over the top and misguided. I mean, I know he, he actually believes that, which is the only thing that really, like, makes me give him a little bit of tinge of respect. But the way that he slits people's throats in debates oh my God. is pretty impressive. Is. I'll give him that. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have Trump to go after last night there because that was his original plan. Which would have so, been so much better. I, I was Those actually two just fisticuffs. Yeah, for sure. I was pretty concerned that DeSantis was going to be his target. Uh, but then he didn't really go after DeSantis at all. He was no. just ready to go after Vivek. Um, so that was that was it. Um, what else did we got here? Who else did you mention? You mentioned Nikki Haley. Oh, yeah. I do have that one because there I thought that one's good. And I don't really like Nikki Haley. You know, everybody, she's a rhino. Um, and also had way, way too much uh, makeup on last night. You disagree? Yeah. Not, not with the makeup, necessarily. Oh, with the rhino part? Yeah. Well, why don't you think she's a rhino? Because she was a great conservative governor in South Carolina who parlayed it into working for Trump and was arguably the only... She was at least the first and maybe the only person to leave the administration on good terms. See, like but her that's why I don't like her is because <laughs> she – no, because she, I think that she abandoned no. her post when she was needed at the United Nations. And we never had a, another strong UN ambassador, which is Trump's fault for sure. But if she – she could have stayed through the whole term. And yet, okay, probably would have tarnished her. But like I don't think that abandoning your post is something – Trump didn't view it as abandonment. If he did, he would have done what 
to her what he did. No, to I know he else was he left. was wrong. I mean, I said it from the beginning, but he was wrong about that. I don't think so. And and she also flip flopped on the whole transgender issue, which Martha whitewashed for her last night. I also disagree with that. I don't think it was a flip flop. Definite flip flop. Different issues. Mm, yeah, it was the original transgender issue when it comes to the bathrooms, which was the gateway drug to the current uh, mutilation standards. But we we could debate that another time. But it's two different issues. And conflate the issues. But let's start this. You are conflating issues. Yeah, I think that they're one in the same. All right, we're going to go here. So the reality is. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The foreign policy experience that you have shows in the pointless wars we've gotten into. So our relationship with Israel will never be stronger than by the end of my first term. But it's not a client relationship. It is a friendship. And you know what friends do? Friends help each other stand on their own two feet. Okay, that, his answer, first of all, hilarious that he was almost drowned out through the entire 30 seconds that he was given to respond by people still applauding Haley taking him down. But his whole understanding of the U.S.-Israel relationship is so, again, him having not only yeah, no foreign policy terrible. experience, yeah. he just has no understanding of how that relationship works. And, like, it's so absurd. Like, the amount of help that Israel gives the United States without condition, like, yes, we help them, but they help us with so much stuff, whether it is intelligence from the Middle East or doing the things that the United States can't do and get away with, and like, dealing with the Iranians, Saudi Arabia, yeah, everything yeah. else. Like, yeah. without Israel, the United States would be a far, would be less safe and would be way more in the dark about what's going on over there at a time when we really need it, especially when you have a president like Joe Biden who's messing around, toying with these nuclear deals that he's making with Iran for $6 billion at a time of access to funds that they wouldn't otherwise have had in exchange for like six hostages. It's insane. So the only thing I'm upset with Israel about is they haven't wiped out Iran yet. I was hoping they would just do that unilaterally, but I get that that's a you know, problem. Uh so, huh? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk okay, about that. That is very time. oversimplified, but sure. Well, well, yeah, of course. It, you can oversimplify it all you want. No. Well, so, he's Mr. Abraham Accords 2.0 and thinks he can walk away with that. No, but that, <laughs> his, he, his he idea. Wants to do Abraham Accords, but doesn't even understand what Israel puts up in such a deal. Well, he doesn't understand foreign policy at all, which is where she was correct. The, the point of her foreign policy where she's incorrect, though, is Ukraine. And that's where Vivek's actually correct, which is ironic. Um, but. You know, I mean, it, he's he's ninety nine percent wrong. He's going to be one percent right at some point on that. Um, he also, what's the other foreign policy thing that he said recently that was absolutely retarded? Oh, the Taiwan thing. Yeah. And well, yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult to have any level of support there. He's basically like, yeah, let's just let China have it. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> we do get all of our chips from there. Are you sure that's a good idea? Yeah. No, uh, yeah so and Haley's line about that about him wanting to let China eat Taiwan, I thought was yeah an appropriate description of what his policy was, which was give me a couple of years, and then you can have it. The one thing Shop he was right up. about was that all of their foreign policy on that stage is the cause of the endless wars. But yeah. again, that's a Trump line. It's just a lifted Trump line. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's see what else we got going on here in these clips. Um, well, not all of them, though, because, I mean, like, Pence and Haley were both in the Trump administration where there were no new wars started. Sure, and sure, sure. Every, a lot of the stuff, but like, I would say Trump Pence and, before was in Congress, like, Nikki Haley was a governor, so that's a little bit different. Right. But she didn't. But she. But was she, she going to send the South Carolina she National now, Guard to invade a country? No, I know, but she now 
is super pro, like, let's go to war with Russia over Ukraine. Was and, not let's go to war. Uh, both, uh, both she and Pence said last night that the whole point of the aid to Ukraine was so that way U.S. forces don't end up in that fight. Well, we all know, but that's the end game of what's going to happen is, like, if we continue to fund this war, that's what's going to happen. Like, but the money just needs to stop. Let's just done, be done with it. If Ukraine can't fight its own war, then Russia should just take Ukraine. Like, we, how much money have we given them so far? Really? A quarter trillion dollars? How much did we spend in the however many years we were in Afghanistan? A lot. Like, I'm pretty sure we're getting close to the same amount. But like, the, talking about, like, and like we still have troops in South Korea. We still have troops in Japan. Like, part of our United States role in the world as a superpower, whether we want it or not, is that we end up settling people's disputes and then sticking around for literally ever to maintain the status quo that we create. And but both like, of those you mentioned serve strategic purposes. Ukraine serves no such strategic purpose. No, but against Russia, it does serve a strategic purpose. They're not in NATO and they're not in the European Union. They're in their own gray area there. Russia? No, Ukraine. Right, but the Ukraine is the proxy. Of, it's us against Russia. Disagree. Um, let's just talk about the southern, or okay, what's the, I've got DeSantis on Ukraine here, which then turned into the southern border. Can we, before we go on to that, mm -hmm. if the, like, being in Japan and South Korea is a strategic purpose, like, if North Korea invaded South Korea, would you be okay with U.S. aid going to South Korea to push them back? I would. Well, yeah, sure, because well, South Korea is actually, has a vested interest in this. Yes, because <laughs> South Korea is actually important to us. Like, we fought a whole war over that specific country, uh -huh. right? Same which, thing with Japan. Which, by the way, hasn't ended. It's no. the same thing with Japan. Yeah, that's still active. Yeah. Technically. Same thing with Japan, right? Like, the, the argument that if we just let Russia take Ukraine, that they're then going to directly attack NATO is a, a total bullshit argument because it's not what they're going to do. How if, do you know that? If he was going to attack NATO, he would have already flung nukes. Like, that's just not going to well, happen. Nukes are still... Although all the START treaties and whatever have reduced the number of nuclear weapons, uh, launching a nuke is still against a NATO country is still basically like we're still dealing with mutually assured destruction. Yeah, exactly. Right. So and like Putin doesn't want to clearly, right, as he showed this week by nuking his supposed friend Prigozhin. Allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. Well, allegedly. the Pentagon today said that he is dead, and they. They wouldn't say whether it came from within the plane or outside the plane. Yeah. It was like, like dark down. It was like, like is it a bomb or a missile? It, this is the, East, it's the Eastern European version of TWA flight. You know, oh, eight hundred. We don't know how it went down. We don't no, know. It was we like dark night rises. But so, but like Putin doesn't want to lose power, and obviously, if he starts a nuclear war with the West, he's going to probably be murdered, well, either in a direct strike over, yeah, or whatever. And so, but that's what I'm saying is. If you go he to war with NATO, it's nuclear war. Right. That's so why he just wanted that. to get his little Ukraine and then be done with the whole thing. But we Ukraine's said, not his oh, style. no, we're going to – yeah, well, technically it was no. Russia's. Yes. Okay, are you yes. going to give the Soviet Union all their countries back? If they want to make it happen. I don't no. give a shit about those Eastern European countries. That's countries. absurd. Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. That's that, absurd. And that was all actually the, the biggest Soviet mistake. Union, you want to get back to Russia to keep them from starting a war with the West? That was the biggest mistake of NATO – 
was letting all these shithole little small Eastern European countries into NATO because Some of those none of them are very nice now. Sure, because they yeah, have freedom. Except none of them meet their defense spending requirements. Which even if they were meeting their defense spending requirements, which they most certainly are not, it still is a drop in the bucket of what we're spending to defend those countries. And in the end, that is what will lead to World War III. Not the fact that we're going directly against them. It's going to be because of a third party doing some dumb shit in the middle, and then Article 5 is going to get invoked, and then all of us are up Shit's Creek because of that pact. As a friendly reminder, Article 5 does not mean an automatic declaration of war. It's up well, to each country to decide the response. Unfortunately, given the way that things are going and the fact that Biden's running a shell war right now without an authorization of war, don't think that's going to matter much. Well, there's currently And the Senate also voted 83 to 13 against that. Mm -hmm. I covered that. Yes, exactly. You know, you know that they're just going to fucking do whatever. Like, it's, well, lucky for you, you're now 30 and an old man who can't be sent to war. Well, yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to war anyway, so. Especially not to fight a war against Russia over some bullshit. You got bullshit, bones first? Against some bull, over some bullshit land in Ukraine that I give zero fucks about? No fucking chance. All right. Let's go to DeSantis on, uh, <laughs> DeSantis on troops in Ukraine and uh, fentanyl across the southern border, which I thought was a great segue. But you're not doing what we need to do to secure our own border. We have tens of thousands of people who are being killed because well, we're not handling both. And so I am going to declare it a national emergency. I'm, I'm not going to send troops to Ukraine, but I am going to send them to our southern border. When these drug pushers are bringing fentanyl across the border, that's going to be the last thing they do. We're going to use force and we're going to leave them stone cold dead. We consider just leaving them stone. I thought that that was one of DeSantis' best moment of the night. Um, totally shitting on the, we can do both, Nikki Haley from the background, because we're not doing both. But and we could. Well, Under mm, a Republican president, we could. Perhaps, but I don't think we should be doing both anyway. Um, we could. And we then, still had trips in Afghanistan under Trump, and we had a secure border. Well, we should have actually just taken them out then, and they wouldn't have all died in the suicide bombing, but that's hindsight. It's 2020. Um, and we wouldn't have left $300 million of equipment for the Taliban. Um, parting gift. Yeah. They're having fun with that. Yeah. Um, but his, uh, using military force against the cartels and the fentanyl traffickers is actually one of my favorite policies. Shoot them. Shoot them cold dead. They have no rights. Kill them. Right then and there. I think it's great that they're putting that, that DeSantis is putting that policy forward now because that should be a wake-up call to Mexico because even though they're kind of incapable and all bought off by the cartels, a threat like the U.S. military arriving and maybe, you know, getting close to or rolling over the border in your proximity to make sure this doesn't continue mm -hmm. is enough to maybe scare them into actually doing something for once. Because obviously they, yeah. they feel like why would they expend time, energy, resources, lives of their security forces when Biden isn't doing that, but like if there's a partner here that'll actually help, I could see Mexico actually maybe for once at least trying. Well, yeah, and a follow way. a follow up in that clip was I think he was asked, uh, "Would would you uh, send?" They they said, "Would you send special forces into Mexico?" And he's like, "Hell yeah, yeah. Why the hell not?" <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll see about uh, which I. A, a U.S. defense posture at the Mexican border, like Israel has with uh, Syria and the West Bank and everything else over there, I think would do us a lot of good. Because, mm -hmm. again, why not? If you have the manpower and the trained forces that can do stuff, send them in, deal with it, get them out. Mexico, what is Mexico going to do? 
Yeah. I mean, our, our southern border has never been fully secure. And that's something that any next Republican president is going to need to do. Um, and the northern border, for that matter. Yeah, it's pretty on bad a lesser, now. It, it was on a lesser scale, but if we if we were, like, let's say President DeSantis sends in special forces and we do call the cartels in the southern border, is safe, send them around the top. they're just going to go yeah. around because they've already started doing that. Well, yeah, we never used to really have to worry about the border with Canada, but there definitely has been an uptick in incidents and stuff up there. So the problem the problem with the northern border is much more land, obviously. Um, is that how but, water works? Yes, but it's also more wooded. Um, like the terrain is a lot rougher. Like the, the southern border terrain is rough, but like you'd have to clear a lot of forests. Well, thankfully build. Canada's taking care of most of that by burning theirs to the ground. True. They're ahead, of, they're ahead of the game on that one. Um, What else do I got here? Oh, let's do a little bit of the January 6th stuff because oh. uh, Fox News, for some reason, was overly concentrated on that, which, you know, no, not surprising. They need to do that for ratings. But um, Pence was getting all sanctimonious up there. <laughs> and it, by the way, why is Pence even in this race? I mean, same thing with Doug Burgum and Aza Hutchinson. I want like, to listen to Doug Burke. Aza did not look well. Aza's eyes were all fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looked like he was the one who went out of medical emergency. It looked super fucked up. Um, Burgum blew out his Achilles, but then showed up anyway. So I'll give him a little bit of credit for that. Mm-hmm. And you know his ideas aren't terrible either. But like, dude, you're gonna you have no chance. Another another billionaire that thinks like, uh, you know that his money's just gonna buy all the votes. And I'm like, no, you you you're not. You're like you can make it maybe a good like cabinet secretary. Mm. Like his ideas are pretty good. When you hear him He's talk, a cowboy, it's like make a good interior secretary. Yeah, 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 that's what I was saying. Like when when you hear him talk, you're like, okay, or like, these make sense. Even. I mean, he's yeah. like or the, labor. I like, think that's a shame. Like being from Minnesota, like I knew who he was. Like mm-hmm. when he ran, he was first elected, and it's interesting too. He ran uh, in 2016 for the first time for governor of North Dakota, mm-hmm. and the Republican Party in the state endorsed another Republican. But then in the primary, he still won and then went on to win the general election by like 76 percent, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, is North Dakota. So that's not totally surprising. But uh, just like his whole story, like he's the one a ton of people probably use this software uh, that's created by the company. It's Great Plains that he sold to Microsoft for like a billion more than a billion dollars. But like Great Plains is a software that like a ton of companies use for accounting and different things like that. And just the way he started out working basically is like a farmhand in this tiny town in North Dakota and then joined this company he and his family bought out full ownership in it and they sold it to microsoft for a billion dollars decided to run for office won on a landslide like his story's great i mm-hmm. feel like he would be doing better if more people knew who he was before he announced he was running because i feel like that just always kind yeah. of like the same with vivic like when you just like show up out of nowhere it's not just a name recognition thing it's like a trust thing like if people aren't yeah super used to you like that's i think why trump like yeah trump came from not politics and jumped straight into presidential everybody knew who he was because they all grew up watching celebrity apprentice as far as billionaires go that are not trump uh definitely like burgum a fuck ton more than i like uh vivek this for sure burgum's at least consistent and has had the same conservative principles for a long time yeah yeah, the whole yeah Yeah. like um all right, let's do this January 6th quote here. This is Pence and then DeSantis making an extremely strong point uh, refuting the whole January 6th and rehashing of the 2020 election argument. I, I think the American people deserve to know whether everyone on this stage agrees 
that I kept my oath to the Constitution that day. There's no more important duty. So answer the question. I've answered this before. So yeah. Why are we? He Mike Mike did his duty. I got no beef with him. But here's the thing: Is this what we're going to be focusing on going forward? The rehashing of this? I'll tell you. The Democrats would love that. We will win if we let him get away with it. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Democrats would love to just keep rehashing this over and over and over again. Pence, you know, whatever, move on with your life, dude. No one knows who you are. You have like 1% in the polls. Just like go get a job on a fucking private company board and, and just move on. Um, yeah, like make some money, enjoy your life. You're not going to be president ever. You weren't going to be president even before the whole January 6th thing. But now you're certainly not going to be president. And whether you can, you know, argue, I, you know, constitutionally, did he have the power to even do what Trump wanted him to do? Which most argue no, and I would probably agree with that at this point. But um, even though I would, even, <laughs> even though I would have loved for him to keep Trump in office, because we see what the fuck happened to our country now because of it, uh, it he's just never going to be president. And DeSantis is 100 percent right. We have to move on. We, and it's the same thing with Trump. Even if Trump is the nominee, we can't be doing the whole 2020 thing every single stump speech. You have to move forward and look forward. What are you going to do to prevent them from stealing another election? Election integrity laws, voter ID laws, you know, securing the ballots, right? These fucking mail-in ballots, cleaning up the voter rolls, you, you know, looking at the signature verifications. There's so many things that you can do to address what happened in 2020, but he doesn't ever say any of that stuff no and that's that's his one like thing that i think really could you know there there's a lot of things but the one thing that could really really become an issue because of what happened on january 6th and you know the squeamishness of independence have for a crowd of people storming into the capitol um it, it like that that is a problem and we need to figure out a way to move forward but also talk about how you know, they air quote fortify the elections <laughs> because like that shit did happen. Supreme courts and states found that secretaries of states illegally modified voting procedures yep. because of COVID. Like these things happened, you know, but y you have to find a way to like do things to fix it. And in Florida, they did it. Voter ID, mm -hmm. you know, a hundred percent voter ID, you know, for mail-in ballots, they're all tracked and they're all signature verified. Like, DeSantis did all these things. Yeah. And <laughs> it was multiple states. To, I mean, it was Florida, Georgia, Texas, a couple other states all passed measures to prevent that from happening again and make the elections more secure. But yeah. here's the problem with most of Trump's argument and like why it's foolish for him to keep bringing up this, his claims that they stole the election is like you were the president of the United States. You theoretically ran the federal government and they stole the election from you. You are now just a guy, a Florida man, right. a former president who's facing four different indictments now. How are you going to stop Democrats from stealing an election if they did it the last time? Well, and I think Tucker asked that last night. Um, I didn't get to see the full answer, but I know he asked the question, you know, you say they stole the election in 2020. He said, are they going to do it again? And he said, yeah, probably. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, how are we going to stop them from doing that? Or at, least, or at least try to stop them from doing that. Like, we all know they're going to farm the ballots in, in blue centers like Philadelphia and uh, – you know, 
Yeah, yeah, farm, farm, farm. We're farming, we're harvesting, we're doing it all, yeah. you know. Uh, Philadelphia for sure, like Milwaukee, Detroit, all the places that matter. Yeah, you know, Georgia is going to be a little more difficult for them this time because of the election integrity law that they passed down there, which is a good law. Um, you know, you got to do something to stop this. You can't just complain about it and say they stole the election, which you know, if you look at it logistically. Things were done to to move ballots, and actually, you know, they say, "Oh, well, you can't swing an election with with fraud." But the election was only forty thousand votes across three states. Like, we could have ran that operation. Like, we could have fucking. We did, to be clear. No, I know we didn't. To be clear, we <laughs> should have. We should have from the other side. And uh, well, Rana, Rana, calling Rana. I mean, let's go RNC. Uh, and, and but then well, was, Trump on the flip side says. Well, no, no, no. We can't use the mail-in ballots because they can't be trusted. Well, so on <laughs> both points, Trump and RNC Chairwoman Ron, Mc, Ron McDaniel, they have now changed. Trump said in a video that he's backing the RNC's bank-your-vote effort, which is, again, in any state where it's legal to ballot farm or harvest, depending mm-hmm. on which season. We're going to farm it. <laughs> uh, to push that in states where it's legal, will they continue to oppose ballot harvesting in states where it isn't yet illegal? Or isn't yet legal, but then he still goes out there and says that it's no good. Right. So again, it's like the RNC is literally trying to do something now about this, and they did use ballot harvesting in California in the midterms uh, in a, at least yeah two races they successfully. I think that was more California GOP. Young Kim, the RNC. Yeah, it was Young Kim. Yeah. Um, but the RNC was involved in using the voter file and stuff. It was their data they were using to contact people and say like, "Hey, did you vote? Let's mm-hmm. get your ballot in." Um, and so, again, the RNC is trying to beat Democrats at the game on that. But with Trump, if he keeps saying that mail yeah. ballots are fraud, then it's not going to – like, people are going to listen to him before they listen to Ron. Of course. Daniel. I mean, I would. I don't like Ron. But yeah. uh, you're not going to farm? Trump doesn't want you to farm? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm an Election Day voter always. But I don't have to worry. You know, the, the mail-in thing is for the the voter who is – Lower propensity, right? We are high propensity voters. We're well, going to be voting no matter what. But I, in the, I voted early in the midterms because I knew I was going to be working here for like sure, fifteen hours sure. straight. And I, I, I did vote in person early uh, mm-hmm. in twenty twenty as well because I knew it'd be busy on election day. Didn't want to have to wait in like a three hour line, right. or whatever. Uh, traditionally, I'm always an election day guy. But what Youngkin's doing here in in Virginia for this upcoming uh, legislative state legislative election. I think is a much better model than what the RNC has so far. And hopefully Rana will like examine what gets done and what happens and really funnel it all into what we're going to be doing going this next year. Well, I think one of the problems is each state party is responsible for yeah designing it. Mm-hmm. Cause like obviously each state has different laws dealing with ballot harvesting and all that stuff. Uh, but I do agree that Youngkin's, which is in part due to Virginia's laws is stronger. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it really all it takes is like enough of the good programs and enough of the states that get enough of the votes mm-hmm. to make sure that we run up the total before election day actually starts. Because like it's just kind of impossible to win when you start the game already down by like well, yeah, a significant it, percentage. Yeah, and the game was always we had hoped we could stop these bullshit universal mailing things. Yeah, um, and it was just not possible. Um, and so now that it exists, we need to learn how to dominate the system ourselves. Um, and when it comes to voter contacts, like 
you know, there is a way to run the system and have it be really successful. I just hope that these state parties, like the Virginia State Party, and you remember this, used to be horrific. And I'm pretty sure when this podcast first started back in 2018, me and Matt used to talk about it all the time and bitch about it, how the Virginia <laughs> State Party was just horrific oh. and we had no good candidates. And, you know, we'd run people like Corey Stewart and, oh, like... Oh, jeez, I forget you know, about him. Yeah, oh. and, like, then, Terrible. you know, Youngkin came along. A literal like, neo-Confederate. Yes. You know, Youngkin ran his own race. He didn't rely on the state party. But now that he is the governor, he really has rejuvenated the state party into being somewhat of a formidable force. And I'm very interested to see what's going to happen uh, this year in, in our legislative elections here. Because if Youngkin can flip just one state senate seat he will have full control and with full control going into next year's legislative session in january he could pass so much good shit mm -hmm. i mean it just came out this morning i was reading or i think i heard on the radio that he negotiated successfully a, a budget uh, agreement to give uh refunds because virginia has a massive surplus right now and the Democrats wanted to spend it on all of their bullshit priorities. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 we're going to give it back to the taxpayers because that's where it belongs. And that's, you know, any real conservative should think that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, now individual taxpayers are going to get $200 refunds. As they should. Yeah. And I, I do think, like you were saying, the Republican Party of Virginia having a rebound is definitely because there's actually a reason for people to be involved in fighting because for so long, there was like getting the grassroots excited and mm -hmm. getting, you know, kind of the whole system up and running was so difficult when we just kept taking loss after loss after loss. And when he won and just his campaign in general invigorated people so much. And then him actually governing, like he said, he would kept people involved. Yeah. And so I do, I, I think sort of what we see happening just with Republican energy in general in Virginia bodes well for this November's elections. Cause again, he doesn't have to flip that much. Just one, um, and there, yeah. and if you look at uh, who was the congresswoman that said she's going to retire from the House uh, in Virginia after this term? Like the way the Republican Party and Youngkin yeah. turned the state back from a bluish, from like purple blue, to it like was getting purple, blue. Blue. It was but blue. like now, like the yeah. fact that it's back like purple, turning a little, you can see like a hint of red on yeah, the horizon. Like has like Democrats yeah. in Virginia actually yeah. concerned? Yeah, uh, which. It was nice for once. Yeah, yeah. it was nice for once. Um, it was like, a you know, when, <laughs> when Youngkin won, that night was so great because it was just like, you know, it was like we were on death row and it was like a stay of execution. Pretty much. Because with Northam as governor, uh, he passed some really radical shit. But, but the Republicans had a couple of Democrat allies. Um, namely Chap Peterson here in oh. Northern Virginia, yeah. who ironically just lost his primary to a radical leftist because he stood with Republicans a few times, namely on guns. Yeah. Ralph Northam was trying to pass a total, uh, you know, air quote, assault weapons ban, yeah. um, uh, a magazine ban, you know, something that would have made average Virginians felonies hundreds of times, or felons hundreds of times over. Yeah. And so... You know, I was preparing to flee the state, and then Youngkin won. And I was like, oh, that was I could stay for a little bit more. It's nice. This is great. When I was, 
I was in the office. I can't remember who else was here, but that election night was like going late because mm-hmm. we called it for Yunkin like hours. We before. had to call an hour and a half before the AP did. Yeah, and yeah. so it was a late night waiting to see when everybody else finally woke up and smelled the Yunkin victory. Uh-huh. But once we called it, I texted Katie. I, she like screenshotted it, and I think I have it in my house now. But uh, I texted her, well, I guess I'll finally move to Virginia. And that night was when I officially decided I was moving out of D.C. Because when I lived in D.C. and we had a Democrat governor here, it was like, well, he's about to do the same thing that Virginia that's been mm-hmm. happening in D.C. Why would I move? But he is the well, reason at that, point, that it DC, made it worth moving. And D.C. at that point was still not, wasn't as bad as, was not as yeah. terrible. Yeah. Now it's like fucking Mogadishu in there. Yeah, it's bad. It's not um, great. You don't cross the river. That's for sure. I, I can't tell you the sad. last time I've been in D.C. People are getting uh, stabbed, shot. Carjack. Here's the thing. It used to be that that was only in like the hood part of DC, right? <laughs> now it's happening you know, outside of the diplomat, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, the, yeah. the, the Nats Park, like the places that are supposedly very secured and right. like, have a lot of security visible around. Yeah. And it happens so with is. cops right down the street. Yep. Right. There's there's cops on a block down the street, and in a block up, someone's getting shot. Yeah. Like, yeah. how how do you even control that? As a police force, oh. especially with the city government that gives you no backing, yeah. really, what needs to happen is Congress needs to revoke home rule. Yeah, that's an um, interesting proposal. But, but I think, you know, if I don't things think keep getting happen. worse. I think eventually you're going to have people in DC start calling for that. Not yeah, obviously, yeah. Mayor Bowser and the city council because they don't want to lose their power. Mm-hmm. But like, I think there's going to be some grassroots push for that, or at least just help, like actually securing the city. Because you're right. I mean, it's like. I grew up in Minnesota, a small town, but I went to Minneapolis a lot back before. That was also as terrible as it is now. But, like, the rule was you just, as long as you're not involved in criminal activity and you don't go to the wrong part of town, Mm -hmm. you're not really in danger. And the same thing used to be true in D.C. when I moved there. And then within a couple of years, it's like, oh, no, you can literally be anywhere at any time doing nothing wrong and end up just caught in the crossfire of a drive-by, stabbed in the head because somebody is a lunatic and high on drugs. It's insane. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, like, we, there was uh, that member of Congress from Minnesota, uh, Angie Craig. She was assaulted in her apartment in D.C. by some yeah. rando mm-hmm. who, like, again, not politically motivated, yeah. but just random crime that, like, inside a secured apartment building Thank should God. not yeah. Thank God that hot be happening. Of coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, like, the building, that probably I, saved your life. the building I lived in had two U.S. senators and a member of Congress that lived there, and there was a minor uh, followed a woman into the parking garage and carjacked her at gunpoint. In our secure parking garage, and yeah. it's like, okay, members of Congress and U.S. senators live here. Like, how is this? Like, it should be a safe building theoretically. Yeah, it's bad. It's not great. I don't go there because I can't carry my gun. Um. All right. Anything else on the debate before we close uh, the oh, book man. on this this chapter here? Um. I think I got everything. It was livelier than expected. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. now it's just watching to see if anybody drops out between now and the second debate next month. I don't think that anyone. California. Yeah, I don't think that anyone is going to drop out. Well, Suarez said but, if he didn't make the debate stage, he would drop out. So it depends on if he's going to be a liar already. Well, he's kind of a rogue anyway. He didn't make the first one, <laughs> but I I do think that a few of the people that were on the stage last night are not going to qualify for the second debate. Asa. Uh, probably Asa, um, maybe Burgum. Um, maybe Christie. He's like on the bubble. But I mean I think I think DeSantis and Ramaswamy and uh Nikki Haley and Tim Scott will qualify. Maybe Mike Pence as well. Pence was on the bubble here though too because of the donor thing. Yeah. People are not almost, donating for him. He even, didn't make it. even though he has the polling numbers to make the second debate, his yeah, donor I numbers. Because I think donors. the threshold for that's higher, right? Yeah, they yeah. it's like a as the 
it steps contest up, goes on, it which I do like. Because um, yeah, you shouldn't have. Yeah, like again, you like I was saying, like this first debate actually was the first introduction a lot of Americans had to some of these candidates mm-hmm. who they hadn't yeah. known of before. So like you want to give them the opportunity to make their case to the American people, but if the American people don't buy it, there's yeah. no reason to keep bringing them. Back How many because, dollars? Again, we need to. I don't recall what the exact number. I think it goes from like forty thousand to fifty thousand. Well, there's no way he's getting ten thousand more dollars. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see <laughs> again, and that's the thing is like theoretically, if you're a standout at the debate, you'll easily get that. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. But if you don't, then again, it's like, well, we gave you your shot, and I do think. The debates will get, like, the first debate was pretty spicy at points, but I think the yeah. subsequent debates, as it starts narrowing, will get even more spicy yeah. because you're going to have fewer people jockeying for attention. It's going to be a lot more directed attacks because there's going to be fewer people to attack. Well, they're going to have to, but I mean, the key here is that, like, we just need to figure out, like, is it going to be Trump or is it going to be someone else? Because right now we're at this, like, 55-45, maybe 60-40 split, Right. Of people that want to see Trump re renominated versus the, you know, I don't want to say anti Trump faction, but the we want someone else faction. There's certainly, of course, you know, 10% or whatever that are like, oh, I'm never going to vote for Trump. You know, <laughs> we're doing that whole thing again, but I, that's not the camp that I'm in. But, um, you know, we, do, we just need to get, we just need to whittle this down, right? Because, like, it's the same thing as 2016. 15 fucking candidates versus <laughs> Trump. You know, you're splitting the vote, 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, you know. At least some of those people got into, like, double digits, though. That's true. This is all, like, low single-digit bullshit here. It's well, just, yeah, like, just the, stop, only, the only know? two, the, well, I mean, DeSantis has been consistently in double yeah. digits. But Ramaswamy has touched just the tip of double digits. Oh, um, <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he Crazy. consolidates some support. And, yeah. you know, it's it's something like... 55 or plus for Trump. Uh, you know, DeSantis is all over the place. Some polls have him as low as you know, 12. Yeah. Some polls have him as high as 24. So, you know, it's somewhere in there. And then Ramasan, Shwami, whatever the fuck his name is, right below that. Um, but the rest of them just got to go. Like, they got no shot. Like, you, all, you're auditioning for your cabinet role or whatever you want now, or VP maybe for some of them. Uh, but, like, let's just move this party along. Yeah. You know, we got an election to win here, and that's really the end goal is we need to figure out what the fuck we're going to do. Yeah. Well, if, if this is, as you're saying, like, basically they're in the race just to audition for either VP or some prime cabinet spot, it'll be interesting to see as they drop out if and who they endorse. Yeah. Because that also changes the math entirely. If as people drop out, they're all endorsing Trump and adding to his total, yeah. that changes the math significantly compared to multiple people dropping out and all throwing their support behind DeSantis, for example. Yeah. Um, or not endorsing, at least. Or not yeah, endorsing. Yeah. That changes things for sure. quite a bit. And it, it will be very interesting to see come Iowa caucus time in the run-up to that, you know, who's still in the race. Because mm-hmm. obviously, like, Kamala Harris dropped out before Iowa. Basically, everybody dropped out before Iowa mm-hmm. or South Carolina. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see who sticks with it and who is just like, no, I'm done endorsing Trump or somebody else. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And of course, we have uh, the Trump Georgia arrest occurring tonight. Yeah. Probably soon. right around the time that the uh, podcast will be released. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we got full coverage for you at townhall.com. The mugshot, the infamous first mugshot of a president ever, <laughs> will be released tonight. 
Um, and I'm sure that's going to drive Trump's poll numbers even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the only the only one last thing I wanted to hit here, and this is a story that you wrote, Matt, yeah. uh, that is a little bit concerning. Yep. Right? Uh, we have we have a rat against Trump. Yeah. Uh, Michael Cohen has company. You know, we <laughs> we uh, never encourage snitching in in Italian lineage. Yeah. Because, America. America. Yeah, you just don't do that. But you who stay is this? Within the Who's this rat? Oh, it's T- uh, Mr. Tavares. I forgot his first name, but he was the he was the Classic. chief. Are you kidding? Yeah, but he was he was the chief information officer who now says as soon as he fired the uh-huh. attorney that the that Trump's political action committee was paying for, now recants his entire testimony and says that oh yeah, by the way, we we did try to tamper with evidence and destroy tapes. Great. So yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to leave it at that. Um, we will have, of course, full coverage for you at townhall.com of all the legal happenings tonight down in Georgia. We're going to talk more next week about the looming potential impeachment uh, proceedings against Joe Biden. Inquiry. Uh, whatever. Close enough. Very different. Um, Very different. Inquiry proceedings. He's never going to end up it gets the ball rolling. Anyway, yeah, so. Inquiry looks to be a scapegoat to avoid actually impeaching. Is that what that is? Yeah, well, they're they're investigating I'm, I'm, whether they may or may not have grounds to impeach him. This is not it's the investigation the, of a potential investigation. Yeah, basically, that's yeah. double that's secret, that's, double secret probation. You know what that is? That's a classic Kevin McCarthy move right there. Oh boy. Um, and so, well, but there is a case to be made that impeaching is not a good idea right now, at least not yet. Right? As oh, Kurt, hi, Mitch McConnell. As Haven't Kurt, seen you in a while. Well, that's what Kurt Schlichter says as well. So <laughs> we're going to talk about what Kurt had to say about that next week. Maybe even have a little segment with Kurt. He's going to be dropping by the office. So, oh, uh, yeah, that'll be no, a wild one. Safe. So uh, bringing the dog. Uh, b- bitey? Yeah. Or Barky? No, I don't think so. Um, but, yeah, we'll be back here next week. We're going to have a lot to cover. Um, of course, we will be here on Wednesday, one episode next week. We're getting close to the end of Mr. Producer's uh, – abandonment of us and so his uh, vacation yeah he's coming back from aruba yeah <laughs> aruba, aruba, yeah aruba. Uh, all right <laughs> so great song we'll be back here on wednesday we love you all thank you for tuning into triggered if you have thoughts on the debate let us know triggered at townhall.com we want to hear from you we'll do some reader emails next week uh shout out to d spencer brown for joining us here on triggered this week and uh we will see you on wednesday august 30th see you then.